This is The Long Run Show with Austin P. Wilson and Michael J. O'Connor. The Long Run Show is brought to you by Benzinger Podcasts for listeners like you. Thank you. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Long Run Show. It's me, Michael O'Connor, here with my lovely co-host, Austin Wilson. And today, you know, Austin, I don't know about about you, but at least it seems like the last couple of weeks for me, there's been a lot of a lot of news surrounding the Federal Reserve. And that's I mean, it's kind of been the trend in I'd say the past year almost because of inflation and all sorts of stuff. But I actually don't want to talk about inflation or the federal funds rate or any of that, (laughs) the technical stuff going on behind the scenes. Because we had a conversation a little while back that piqued my interest, and I think it did for you as well, about how we as individuals uh, like craft our own monetary policy. I'm putting out air mm. quotes. So like like personal monetary policy. Like who 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 is the the Jerome Powell in your brain that's kind of <laughs> running things and setting your 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 own personal funds rate. I, I think it's such an interesting topic to dive into because it I'd like to discuss, I mean, kind of the, from the range of personal investment psychology, which we've touched on before, but all the way to, you know, how do you react to situations of adversity in external circumstances? Like the, the, the Federal Reserve for the U.S. is the, kind of the central bank of this system. Um, it's kind of tasked with both reacting and trying to proactively do things for the benefit of the whole as much as possible. And I, I can kind of relate to that on a personal level in a weird way of like, how does the financial part of my brain interact with the rest of who I am? And how do I kind of craft my own thought processes around money in general, investing, uh, spending? So I, I don't know. That was a lot. <laughs> that was a lot. <laughs> yeah. I, so I it it's kind of an interesting thought of or analogy almost of okay what how does the financial part of you know my brain interact with everything else and everything I do in my life obviously everybody knows money touches everything um, in your life and there's different biases that we have towards you know maybe it's investing or saving or budgeting or you know spending um, we have different biases towards that. We've kind of discussed some of those on the the trading and investing sort of thing, uh, like loss aversion and you know not wanting to not wanting to uh, be too risky or being wanting to be too risky. Different different uh, edges of the same sword there. Um, so we've talked about the trading and investing side of things, but it is interesting to kind of think about okay. Do do we have, you know, our own um, policy when it comes to how we spend, what we spend it on and what what's important to us? Because it's, it's interesting. Money is just kind of this thing. It's now uh, nowadays it's kind of just made up has value because because we say it has value. Good old fiat um, used to be that 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 it was something somewhat tangible at least or had a representation of something tangible i.e gold or silver um and and so there was something there where you're like okay money is something but at this point i would say money kind of is a is a um oh what's the word i'm looking for a go-between a representation of what we value and how much we value it and so that's why i mean everything money touches everything because it's it's kind of showing what we value and and how much we value it. So, I think it's important to have some principles around, you know, why um why you spend money, what you spend it on, do you budget, how do you budget? Um and so actually it'd be kind of interesting to to hear from you. Do you like what are your thoughts on on budgeting? Let's start there on cuz I think that's the easiest low-hanging fruit as far as like a personal monetary policy standpoint. Um what what are your kind of thoughts on budgeting? Because I've I've done some different things in the past, and and I'll share those in, in a second. But I'm interested to hear your your thoughts on that. Yeah, I'll get into that in a, a hot second. Just what you said sparked two very quick thoughts on on yeah. my end. One, which was I, I like what you said about how money is the go between. It's almost like it's almost like how an author puts ideas on paper, and then there's a book, 
and the mm. book can communicate ideas to a reader. It's almost like money is a book that communicates the ideas value from author to reader in, in a way. Uh, and I think most people don't quite either grasp that or kind of dig into it enough to, cause like you're saying, it's money is not really backed by anything tangible anymore. It's more backed by ideas. Um, and so I think that's something that something that I wanted to highlight that I, I think is a good point that you brought yeah. up and that our listeners um, should, you know, think about that. Maybe mull that over a little bit. Um, yeah. And, and real quick to, to add, well, just to add <laughs> on to that, because yeah. I think that's a really good point to suss out really quick. The, that makes, if you don't understand that, if you don't understand that money is just intangible and is just a representation of something, you know, kind of communicating what you think of, of something, how much you value it, that sort of thing. If you don't understand that, then it can lead you down a really weird path of just chasing money for money. And then that doesn't really lead to anything fulfilling as a human because yeah. you're chasing something that's super intangible. It has no, there's no point to just having one million dollar bills sitting in a stack in the corner of your bedroom like there's no point to that it's what you do with those one million dollar bills i don't even know if that would fit in a bedroom. all right but, scrooge mcduck over here yeah. <laughs> you know what i mean yeah so it's 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 interesting like okay you need to you need to realize that and it's more important now than ever because you used to be able to you know maybe have some gold bars if, or if you were a king, you had a big vault and it had a bunch of gold coins in it or something. And that sort of meant something slash did something. But nowadays that it, it is so intangible. Like most of our money is just numbers in a computer. So, and that's the vast majority of it. The vast majority of money nowadays, especially in the U S it's not currency. It's not printed currency. A lot of it's just numbers in a computer. Um, so, that I think is important to, to realize. Sorry, sorry to cut you off on your second point. So, no, no, no. That, that, I think that's a, this is exactly the kind of thing that I was looking forward to. Of this, this kind of I feel like you know, we've had a lot of good episodes, and I think that I think where we kind of shine in terms of being able to strike up a conversation on something like this is in this zone where you know, a little bit of psychology, a little bit of investing, finance. Like the long run of all of that, I think kind of boils down to, you know, how do you interact? Um, how do you in maybe integrate is the better word. How do you integrate mm. all of that into who you are in the long run? Yeah. And how do you, because I think that, that is such a good point where if you're just making money to, to make money, to have a longer bank account number than you've had before <laughs> more um, zeros <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> that like, are literally ones and zeros in the computer yeah, exactly <laughs> exactly it's like how how does that relate to who you are how does that you know why are you uh going for that like and i, I like the idea of a personal I, I like just the the phrase personal monetary policy like what is the I mean, the central bank is meant to it's meant to help keep the economy, the system running smoothly and things going well. It's meant to allow for exchange and the creation of value. It's not meant to simply make the U.S. have the most dollars. And I think that's actually a good way to translate it on a personal level is I think, at least personally, I believe that a person should not be focused even in the strictly financial sense, like let's say just the financial part of your mind or the way you perceive things, or let's say you spend two hours a week on budgeting and everything or have a specific thing. I think that that should be taken in context of the system as a whole and that the monetary side of your life should be used to the benefit, the most benefit of the whole in terms of value creation as a person, not just adding more money to the bank account, um, you know, which could be a part of that. But the why behind it, I think, is is so very important. Um, now I've kind of forgot where we were originally headed to. <laughs> no, you're good. The question? You were you were you were going to go into your own personal kind of budgeting outlook, mm. or if you budget, if you don't budget, how, what you've learned in the past from budgeting that that whole that whole question. That was what I posed to you. Okay, perfect. I think budgeting is is really nice these days because so much if if not almost everything in your finances of as the average person person is all electronic now 
which mm. just makes it so easy. Um, for me personally, I mean, most of my budgeting, I, I usually spend, I don't, I don't actually carve out a specific time slot per week, but I usually spend a little time per week and then carve out some more significant time per month um, to figure out not necessarily it's interesting for me, at least my budgeting is a little more on the budgeting, what I'm going to be saving and investing side. Um, whereas spending, I usually, and this is, this is an interesting thing, um, that I like to hear your thoughts on as well, but I usually don't, I can usually kind of naturally not spend a bunch of money on a weekly basis. I find a lot of my like personal expenditures come from either travel or things that are kind of planned out in advance on almost like a monthly basis. But I think sometimes that's a problem because if there are relatively small things like going out for dinner or drinks that can kind of go completely unnoticed for me at least. Uh, so I've actually been thinking about this recently of where and I think it's just a human human nature thing where we kind of have this almost a logarithmic perception of if something's less than like $50 and depending on, you know, your, your income and where you live in the world and cost of living and everything. But essentially if some, something is if the cost of something is low enough where you wouldn't necessarily think about it and you don't, but you keep doing those things that can add up very quickly. Whereas in, even in the middle, maybe you don't buy something that, could actually be high value for you just because it, it like costs more on a, on a basis than other smaller things. And um, there's an interesting kind of situation where even anchoring almost of anchoring what you're spending and what you're earning and saving can create these kind of weird situations where um, things that aren't really necessary can go unnoticed and maybe things that are more necessary go too noticed and you overemphasize or over analyze those things too much. At least for me, that's kind of something I've noticed um, because most of my, I'd say most of my budgetary, most of my budgetary mental energy is spent on, on um, investing. So researching what I'm going to be investing. I kind of, I use, I pretty much use a system of a flat amount per month that I say, I'm going to be putting this away into investing slash you know, medium long-term savings kind of thing uh, where I always try to have an emergency cash fund in, in a checking account. And then, you know, from there move things out on a, a monthly basis, but it's not extremely structured. And then I don't say, okay, every month I put X into stocks specifically. It's almost like a rolling research orientation of what are the things that I want to put into this month. Um, so that's kind of, my budgetary perception it's not it's not super fleshed out I mean, like i said i don't have a i have a small spreadsheet thing but like it could be more um it could be less but it could definitely be more so mm -hmm. what are your thoughts and what is your experience yeah so so i i like what you said about like overemphasizing on the consumption side we'll just talk about that for a second the consumption side like spending overemphasizing certain things or underemphasizing other things and i heard a, a rule that i don't know I'm, I'm interested to hear your opinion on it but i heard a rule that it was like okay if something is uh one percent or less of your net worth you shouldn't really care about it like it, it doesn't really matter so like that sort of spending if you're gonna spend so let's say you've got ten thousand dollar net worth one percent hundred dollars it's under a hundred bucks you don't really have to worry about it um and so that was kind of an interesting thought to me but then when i when i realized okay what's the base that they're measuring on its net worth net worth gets really wonky when you own large assets with debt like housing real estate it gets really weird because you have these weird numbers that don't really mean anything. It's an illiquid asset. It doesn't really play into your everyday spending. So I wonder if maybe there's like a, a rule of thumb based on income that you could use for that. But I do think there is a certain threshold where, okay, if it's under 10 bucks or if it's under $5, like you probably don't have to worry about spending that. But there is death by a thousand cuts, right? Everybody's like, you know, if you if you look up any financial blogger, YouTuber, they're always like, oh yeah, don't don't make the or don't buy the latte at 
at uh, the coffee shop. Just make it at home. And if you do that every day for 40 years and invest that, then you'll make a million dollars by the time you're 60. And I'm like, okay, cool. What if I really value the, the latte at the coffee shop? Like I, I may really value going, going to get a latte at a coffee shop. But <clears throat> is that worth it to me over that 40-year time span? Yeah, it might be. But maybe not for another person. So I think there are are I personally don't think that's a good rule, like the whole coffee thing. I think that's dumb. I like instead of the one percent rule that where it's like, okay, if it's one percent of your net worth, you don't have to worry about it. I like thinking of it as from a budgeting perspective, um, using I think it's Pareto's law or something like that, the 80-20. The 80, or Pareto's principle, something like that. The 80-20 principle. So the, the principle is basically, okay, 80% of the outcomes are usually uh, due to 20% of the inputs. And that could be in anything. And that holds true across, that, that ratio holds true across many, 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 many different disciplines. I've seen it in even crazy things like the distribution of light in the U.S., 80% of the light comes from 20% of the, the, the actual geographic space of the U.S. So just weird stuff like that. And I think just if you're thinking about it, it's like L.A. and San Francisco are the two big hubs on the, the West Coast. And then everything east of the Mississippi, and that, that's it. Basically, there's this like line. And then the East Coast specifically. So <clears throat> weird, weird principle like it, it, it's odd to me that that holds true across so many different mediums and spaces, but it does. And so I, I think that's really important when it comes to budgeting to remember that because your coffee habits, whether it's make it at home uh, using a, a really bougie Chemex pour over or it's using Cometeer, which we both really like to They'll say not a sponsor, yeah. but we are definitely willing to, to, yeah, not to a talk sponsorship. We both, yeah, I love Cometeer. Just not saying. a sponsor yet. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah. So like that's, that's super easy or it's cake up or whatever, or it's, you're going to the coffee shop or you go to Starbucks and you get your $5 latte every day. Okay. That is a lot less important than the $2,000 in rent that you pay for your very large apartment when you're a single dude and you really could live in like 500 square feet and be fine. Right. So instead of prioritizing, saving the $5 on the coffee every day, maybe prioritize downsizing where you rent. And I, I actually just moved and I'm, I'm looking to get a roommate because I have a second bedroom and it's just huge. Like the place I moved all my stuff in and I was like, this place is humongous. I do not need this much space. I totally was was in a situation where the the market that I'm in is fairly small, so there wasn't a lot of a lot of options. There was a lot of competition. There was like 50 applications for this place. I was lucky to get it, but it was something where I moved in and and I and I got the the, the place, knowing okay, I'm spending a, a good chunk of change, more than I would like to be spending. But that's because I am planning on getting a roommate. There's a second bedroom. I'm gonna sublease to this roommate and help to bring down that cost of living. Because if you think about budgeting wise, I've so personally, I've done the whole like keep a very exact budget and it's helpful, I would say, to keep a, a very, very tight budget if you are in some sort of situation that absolutely necessitates that. Meaning if you're in a situation where you're just out of college and you're you moved away from your family, you're in a new city and you're not making a ton of money yet and you're just getting started, and you need to make sure you don't go into stupid debt, okay, then budget. Be on a very tight budget. Be strict about it. And that'll be a phase. Maybe it's six months. Maybe it's a year. Hopefully, you can either work your way up in that organization, get a get a raise, get a bonus, or maybe you switch jobs, that, that sort of thing. And that was true for me. When I first moved out, I was on a very tight budget. And when I, when I was looking at the job, I forgot about taxes, which is really stupid. Oh, <laughs> really, really stupid. So I was like, oh, I got so much room in my monthly budget. And then I realized, oh, once I moved in, I was like, oh, taxes are a thing. And so, <clears throat> which is, I learned my lesson. I won't ever forget that ever. <laughs> I will not forget that income tax is a thing. So I get there and I'm like, okay, taxes are a thing. This budget got a lot tighter. And it was very tight for, for a bit. Um, and that was 
for for many reasons, but um, that put me in a in a phase of my life where I was very much aware of every penny that I spent, and I was marking it down and using a using a budgeting app that it wasn't one of those aggregator types, but it was one that I had to manually enter each thing I bought. So I was like saving receipts and entering everything in and had a very tight budget. I think that's useful if you're in a situation that necessitates that. If you're, you know, not making a, quite enough to to basically have a lot of room in your budget, okay, definitely need to be on a budget so you don't go into dumb debt. Or maybe you are already in a bunch of credit card debt for whatever reason, and you're trying to go hard and pay it off, kind of doing the Dave Ramsey thing. Yeah, budget definitely necessary in those scenarios. But for for folks that are not in that sort of a situation, it's good to remember what are the, if you look at a budget, what are the the top things, the, the top categories that contribute to the bottom line of the budget? It's always housing, transportation, and food. Those are always the top three items. So if you look at those three categories, and it's in that order, it's usually housing, transportation, and food. And so that if you, if you think about it, that's the, the Pareto principle, the 80-20 rule coming right back to to the forefront because that if you like put everything line everything out on a budget that's maybe 20 percent of all the line items on your budget but it's causing 80 percent of the the bottom line spending right so what can you do can you house hack can you can you have roommates which i actually totally recommend having roommates roommates are great um well, not all roommates are great. That's a big blanket statement, but it's good to have community. Um, it's it's not as bad as you think, especially if you're an only child. Um, so I think you know, can you house hack? Can you downsize? Can you uh, what what can you do to get that housing budget down um, or the housing cost down? And then also, what can you do on the transportation side? Do you need to sell your car and buy a cheaper car so that you don't have any? payments. Um, can you just look at your auto insurance and go shop around? You'll probably save. If you haven't, if you haven't changed your auto insurance in a year, you could probably get some pretty good savings on insurance. So are, are there things you can do to, to bring the transportation costs down? Can you use, like I use an app right now with gas prices so crazy. Um, I use an app that gives me cash back at, at gas stations. So can you do that to just save a little bit, chip away at that, at that, um, at that expense? And then the food side of things, I think this is very subjective. I am definitely seeing the benefits of spending a little bit more to get really good food. Um, when I was, uh, you know, in college, I didn't really care what I ate. It just had to fuel me. So, you know, could have been Taco Bell or <laughs> calf food or whatever. So it, that's a personal thing. But I think if you focus on those three categories, a lot of the other things, and maybe, you know, if you don't have health insurance, I guess health costs would be the biggest expense probably, um, or at least planning for those if you don't have like really good health insurance through your employer. So that could be a that could be something you want to think about too and put that in the, the category that you're caring about. But then I think if you focus on those, on those three categories, trying to make sure you're being reasonable in your budget in those three categories, everything else is probably going to take care of itself. So the coffee you go get, that for you know three four or five bucks or ten bucks with inflation depending on where you're at um the if you Ouch. if you go get <laughs> if you go get a coffee you know four or five times a week that's probably not going to kill you if you're house hacking and splitting your your rent payment and it's 50 percent of what you would be paying normally right so that that sort of uh um principle is what I've kind of drawn from my experience of being on a really tight budget and then not being on a budget for a little bit and then be kind of using this principle now where I think I try to plan a little bit ahead as far as housing. What am I going to spend on that? Um, and then also another principle that's that's good to have. I don't know. It, it sounds a very um, sounds very tactical, but I don't know how necessarily, you know, hit the ground running it is as far as uh, advice. But um, another good principle to just kind of have in the back of your mind is can you buy um, assets that pay for your spending? And now this is kind of more advanced. Like once you've, once you've kind of built out your emergency fund and you're in a good spot, can you buy a piece of real estate and turn it into a rental that can pay for your primary residence? That sort of a thing. 
it's good to have that in the back of your mind. That's a that's a principle, not definitely not my own. That's one from the Rich Dad Poor Dad book, and I think it's a I think that book's like a good book to read. I don't know how applicable a lot of it is. He and I'm pretty sure he made up half the crap that's in there, but <laughs> especially I, I'm pretty sure he made up his rich dad character. Like that's not a real thing. Oh, I, really? People can correct me if I'm wrong, but <laughs> I'm pretty sure he. We're gonna have Robert. Kiyosaki. Robert Kawasaki, Kiyosaki, Kiyosaki. On, uh, as a guest, <laughs> we gotta, we gotta have him. We gotta, we gotta. <laughs> yeah, it's wild. So, I didn't know that. I so I I yeah I I've looked into it. It seems a lot of it is made up to me. Maybe it's an eighty twenty. Maybe there's an eighty twenty principle hidden in this book. There, um, eighty <laughs> percent of it's made up, or twenty percent of it. Anyways, um, but it it is good. He has some good stuff in there, and that's that's one of his his ideas is buy assets that can pay for your spending. I think it's a good idea to just have in your head. I don't, again, know how applicable or, you know, tactical that really is. But those are, that's kind of my thoughts as far as principles or like policy around budgeting. And I, and I think you want to make it all of this, you know, we talked about, you, you talked about integrating your kind of your, your monetary portion of your brain into the rest of your life as a human. And I think it's important to, to remember that like, Okay, all of this is is for a reason, um, and and try and figure out what that reason is, because then it makes those budgeting choices harder. But you also, at the same point, don't want to make the budget its own, you know, mini god <laughs> in your life, right? Like I, I've definitely talked to or watched interviews of people who are like such a tightwad that they can't go out and have a fifteen dollar cocktail with a friend. Cause it's not in their budget <laughs> and yeah. that's just no, no good way to live. It's not in, like you said, it's not integrated, right? Like you're letting that, that monetary side just totally take over. So I think it's important to kind of have a, have a, a prudence kind of blanket over top of all of this when you, which when you're talking about it's, budgeting. It's interesting what you brought up when you're talking about you know, the coffee versus like house hacking or the things that are actually going to, you know, be a much bigger, difference uh, it just kind of occurred to me and kind of started a train of thought where those things like you know it, it's it's very easy in the moment let's say you're looking at your budget it's very easy to be able to say oh well i'll just cut out coffee and that's you know that's x dollars a month well, wow that's great that's that's some extra money because you're not in the coffee shop right then in that moment about to order a coffee it's easy for you to it's it's easy for i think as human beings it's easy for us to to eliminate something like that because it's extremely low effort to do it in that moment and maybe we stick by it um and you know maybe we do save that money but the actions that would have a much larger effect let's like let's say you have to choose going back to your example of the 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 young person with a two thousand dollar rent in order to make the decision to change from that takes a lot of energy so let's say you're looking at the budget and you say, shoot, like the coffee is not going to be enough uh, or I'd have to get rid of the coffee and everything else. I just have to live on rice and beans for a year <laughs> to afford this. Um, it takes a lot more energy in that moment right there to actually say, OK, like I'm going to look at subletting, um, getting a roommate or moving or selling my car or something like that. The the big decisions um require a lot of energy in a in the exact moment that you actually want to change it which is very interesting um that this kind of that situation that i think makes a lot of people just think that the better thing to do is to simply move around the small pieces to try and get the whole puzzle to fit rather than looking at the big pieces because they require a lot of effort but what i find fascinating is that at least in my experience and for most people that i know we're very adaptable as well. So I think although it requires, it can require a ton of energy to move, I mean, sure, or to get a roommate, to sell a car, to, you know, very large changes. Once you're used to that in, you know, a couple of weeks to a month, if you're living in a, a smaller house or something, you're usually going to be able to adapt on a daily basis. And pretty quickly, you're not even going to notice the difference. Whereas, you know, maybe for maybe the $5 latte, like you're saying, maybe that actually 
provides, you know, this enjoyable ritual to your day where you would actually notice um, pretty regularly if you weren't doing it anymore or, you know, going out to a bar and getting a cocktail with a friend. Uh, it's interesting that the smaller things can have, uh, you know, impact that I think is easy to easy to discount because it's easy to eliminate them, especially when you're in the kind of financial mindset. Mm-hmm. Whereas when you're in the financial mindset and you actually have to make a big decision, that's really hard, even though you probably can adapt pretty readily to a, a smaller apartment or a cheaper car. Uh, so that's a very interesting, a very interesting point that you brought up. And yeah. I think, I think that relates to, because it was interesting when you were saying, you know, I had to have a very tight budget for a time. I was thinking like, Oh, that's real, real hawkish uh, monetary policy. <laughs> but, but then you reevaluate, you know, you had to go through that and, and then things change. And so you don't just keep the same monetary policy your whole life. You evaluate on a regular basis and you, you change, you go a little dovish. And I think that's something that some people a little personal aside, I think, I think that's something that some people miss is that, you know, maybe you grow up in a certain environment or you, you're, you've been in a certain environment a long time and you simply, you extrapolate that to your entire life and you're never, you never change your perception of money or you never change how you interact um, or integrate that into who you are in either or direction, um, whether that's more or less money as time goes on. I think there's, a tendency for people to, if they've, if you're used to spending a lot of money to not want to change and spend less money when necessary, or if they spend very little money to not want to change and spend more money when it's, when it's uh, applicable. So I think that's an interesting, um, it's kind of a psychological conundrum. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. And, and also to, to offer a different um, angle here on the whole budget thing that, you're never going to build wealth or get rich or whatever your goals are as far as adding just the math of adding more zeros. You're never going to do it by cutting. Like you can only cut so far. You have to make more on the income side of the equation. Yeah. So I think that's where like it it's good. I've heard, I heard, who I don't know who it was. Maybe it was Ramit Sethi. I was heard him on an interview and he talks about budgeting and how he does it. And his old shtick is like, basically don't don't spend on things that don't make you happy and spend crazy on things that make you happy and that could be taken to an extreme and i think he probably does it to get clicks and and you know write books and sell books um but there is a a good principle in there of okay well you should spend on things that make you happy or a better principle is you should be spending on things that make you a better person, whether that's, you know, personal development just on, on the personal side or career development, professional development, honing in your skills, getting more skills. I think, uh, and someone, someone said this, it might've been Ramit Sethi too. Someone said that they just always buy books. Like if there's a book they see, they want, they just buy it. No. And there's, they make sure that they don't judge themselves for spending money on that even if it's not in the budget, they just, they buy the book and they say, okay, I'm just, uh, this is my rule. This is my book rule. And their, their justification for that was, okay, that book might, I might only learn one thing in reading that book, but that one thing might make me a lot of money, thousands of dollars. And that book costs 20 bucks. So it's worth it to me to take a bunch of $20 shots in the dark if it pays off, you know, 10, 10 million fold or 10,000 fold. Right. Um, so I, I think that's a good, a good thing to remember as well is like, what are the things you should be spending on? Definitely things that, that increase your skill set, things that bring you joy and, and also develop you as a human. But that, that can all be seen also from an investment standpoint too, like you're investing in yourself. So I think there's there's blurred lines between the investing, like buying stocks and investing in yourself. Um, but I, I, I definitely didn't want to leave us uh, from talking or I didn't want to leave the subject of budgeting without talking about you got to make more money. Like the income has to change because otherwise you're just going to keep cutting and cutting and cutting until you're living on beans and rice, which is no fun. I don't think that's a very integrated way to live life. <laughs> 
that that's a good point because I think that's the natural. It seems like the natural response when when you hear the word budgeting is you think ah spending less. That's almost the, without even I mean talking about what you're spending or costs. And you don't have to bring up any of those words, just the word budget or budgeting sounds ominous and it sounds like you need to spend less money, you know? (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, I think, I think it's, it's important to remember that. And that kind of, I think people, this is, brings us back to the integration point you, you brought up earlier. People don't think about their income and their skill set in relation to their budget. It seems like that gets siloed in our brain for some reason. I I've totally done this myself. But it seems like that just gets siloed. And in reality, the two definitely play off each other. And if your your income increases, then it gives you more capacity to spend on things that bring you joy. And maybe it gives you more capacity to to buy, like we were talking about that principle, buy an asset that can pay for your, your other spending, right? And so I think it's important to remember that it's all all comes together, which you know, in the analogy of the the Fed and and monetary policy, you know, they're they are trying to juggle a lot of different things. Some say successfully, some say not successfully. Um, and that's that could be debated. But one of the they, they do have overarching principles, which it I think help them juggle a lot of different things at the same time while having that kind of overlay overlaying principle. So, you know, they're trying to target inflation normally. They use that as their their main target. Um, and so, you know, if we draw that analogy down to the personal level, okay, what are you trying to to target? Is it spending? Is it income? Is it net worth? What's the what's the target? And then seeing how everything else kind of fits in to, to achieve that, that target goal, whatever it is. Yeah. And I think that the, the idea of a value structure is so important there. Cause as, as the fed has their kind of structures of what we're trying to achieve, you know, we're trying to achieve economic growth and value creation. Like, what do you as a person value? Like, like, like we've been talking about, you know, do you really enjoy that cup of coffee that, that thing that, makes you happy or do you really enjoy going outdoors so you buy outdoor gear or do you not know what your value structure is maybe you're in a spot where you, you you're honestly like I, I don't really know what i value um maybe it's maybe it's a, an opportunity to to reflect on that rather than to simply either either just spend money on things that you're not really valuing or just saving money for the sake of saving money that maybe you're not even realizing you're doing it uh, or maybe it's maybe you need to be giving more money away, giving more money back. Um, you know, I think that's extremely valuable that not a lot of people in the financial sphere talk about is like, how do you donate your money? You know, I think it's yeah. it's one of the one of the easiest ways to get value, especially if you if you know the cause well or you're, you know, you're supporting a friend in something or a GoFundMe for a family, you know, maybe as medical bills. Something like that. That's one of the the most not talked about financially, but probably one of the easiest ways to get a bunch of personal value. I mean, you both feel good about it yourself, but also you're, you're actively helping others. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that's, that's another, that whole integration of all of the, (laughs) the whole, the whole mind and monetary policy is so, so interesting. Um, Yeah. 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 There's a lot, there's a lot there to, to kind of, um, make sense of as a person. And I think what you're saying, having some sort of value structure is helpful, but also realizing that's okay if if you don't have that or if it changes, just like your budget and outlook on budgeting is going to change. It's okay if that changes. Like you might value, you know, I I don't know, you might value biking really highly and you get a really nice bike. And then five years later, you're into something else. Like you don't have to, I I find it very impressive. Uh, For instance, I was reading an article about a guy who, started running in middle school and is now 80 and still runs every day. It's like, okay, that's impressive, (laughs) but that's just simply not my personality. Like I'm not going to, there's no way I'm going to stick with that one thing for (laughs) 80 years, or I guess it'd be like 70 something years or so. (laughs) That's just wild to me. Um, So knowing, okay, everybody's a little different personality wise and what you value. So knowing that you can, not feel bad when it changes and you're like, Oh, I have this really nice bike, but I don't really bike anymore. It's like 
I move to a different city and I don't have bike paths near me, or I move to Alaska and it snows all the time or whatever. <laughs> I don't know. But just understanding that it's okay if it changes and then adjusting, you know, as you go. I think that's, that's important. And it kind of leads me back to the overarching blanket of kind of prudence and understanding that all of it has a place and a time. Um, and you also may not be very clear on that all the time as well. That's, and that's okay. Um, it, I think it's, it's easy when we're talking about money because it's all numbers. It's easy to think you can be really precise, but I think it's maybe it's the Mike Tyson quote where it's like, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face. Yeah. Everybody's got a budget until life happens and then it blows <laughs> up your budget. <laughs> you know, I, I'm interested to hear though, when like, what are the catalysts for you when you do reevaluate? So like, for, for instance, for, for myself, I know I mentioned a little bit of like, usually I kind of do a, a checkup, almost like a, a federal, a Federal Reserve meeting every month of the, the Michael O'Connor uh, Central I'd like Bank. To, but... I'd like to read the notes of that meeting. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we can watch the live stream next time. Okay. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but like, is it for you, is it like on a time basis? Or I mean, for me, it's also like catalysts, like significant life events requires a, like a more, a broader, uh, larger meeting of the of the council as it were <laughs> so like what are the kind of temporal and significant catalysts for you where you maybe reevaluate your your monetary policy yeah so i i would say it tended to be when i was doing like a very steady budget it tended to be on a monthly basis but i found that months don't correspond to my life and the rhythm of my life very well at all like I don't live my decisions and my, you know, my, my different tastes. I don't live them on a 30 day structure at all. Things bleed over to different months. So it's very unhelpful for me to be like, all right, on the 15th of this month and then the 15th of next month, I'm going to sit down and budget. It's like not helpful at all. So I found that especially using the, the 80, 20 principle, those, because they're big decisions, like you said, they take a lot of brain power and effort, but they also don't have to be made as often as buying a cup of coffee. So I've found that my changes in kind of thinking about budgeting or thinking about the things that I value, those tend to happen around transition points and specifically before the transition actually happens. Um, and, and, typically when I'm trying to make a decision about that transition point in life. So whether that's moving, taking a new job, uh, whether that's going on a trip or like getting invited on a trip to do some big thing, that's going to be a big spending. I typically make the decision and go through the process of, okay, do I value this? How am I going to approach this? I go through that beforehand rather than, than when the transition is actually happening. Um, now I think, I'm kind of in a little bit of a transition period right now in my life. And I think what's going to be helpful is what I've, and what I haven't done before, because I've gone through a couple job changes and moving before. And I I've done the, okay, deciding on how to act, what to budget, what to value in the, and then the transition happens. And then I just continue on. I think what I'm going to do this time is, okay, I've already decided, gone through the decision process. The transition is in the middle of happening. And then once that's over, maybe a couple of weeks down the road, then start to reevaluate um, after the transition is kind of after the dust is settled, reevaluate, okay, how is this working? Do I like what's happening? Do I need to make another change? I think that's helpful for me. It's a little bit more of like rhythm of life based, I guess, um, and not so time based just because I found that the month thing was not helpful um, when it came to, to budgeting. Cause maybe there's a weird transition where you get paid on, you know, the 30th and the 30th happens to be a funky day. And then it's like on a weekend. And so you get paid at a different day and then it messes up your whole budget. And you're like, Oh, do I spend, I don't know. It's the next month. It's May 1st. Do I spend using last month's money? Do I spend using this month? How do I mark this down in my budget? So having gone through all that, I'm like, doesn't matter. The month doesn't matter whether it's the 30th or the first. It really matters more like what what position I'm in 
um, in in that particular time. So that's that's how I do it. It's a little more free flowing, a little more fluid, which is not again doesn't necessarily match up with the traditional financial mindset. But I think it's helpful to realize like you gotta you gotta meld and like I actually I really like the word you used earlier integrate. You gotta integrate the financial mindset into the realities of life. Get synergy. Oh gosh. <laughs> you know I don't like that word. Austin hates the word synergy. Ah <laughs> uh, yeah yeah. I somebody said that today in a in a meeting and and I was like this is just choose a different word. There, there there's no reason to use that word because it is absolutely meaningless. It's been used too much. Anyways, that's my mini rant on synergies. <laughs> They're not worth it. Oh man. Yeah. I think I think it's a good point in that if you shoehorn yourself into too much of a, you know, time like ah uh, yes, every every other week Saturday at 4, I always look at my finances and I won't think about it otherwise, which I definitely know some people who they're kind of their their mindset is that I want to be able to not think about money for as much time as possible which is an interesting one. And I think, I mean, I think that's why financial advising exists is to enable people to just not think about money, not worry about it. But I think that, that there's intrinsic value, I would say to being able and willing to reevaluate and to have a meeting of the, 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 uh, the central bank of you <laughs> when necessary. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. I guess that's (laughs) yeah, yeah, the CBU. (laughs) But I mean, in the situation where you know, let's say someone has a financial advisor, maybe they're a little later on in life where they're not super worried about budgeting is is kind of an interesting one because I mean, I don't know about you, but I haven't experienced that yet. I'm not, I'm not, uh, not (laughs) retired yet. (laughs) So, so that's (laughs) that's kind of another one where maybe maybe that central bank of you uh take some vacation time for you know because that's an interesting caveat to i guess all of this is let's say you're in a situation where you either can afford to kind of outsource the financial worrying or uh maybe you're maybe you're not working or maybe you're i don't know there's a number of situations maybe you're a stay-at-home parent and you're not necessarily worried about finances. It's an interesting one to, to think about where integrating, continuing to integrate the the monetary policy of you in maybe becomes a little more complex, a little less straightforward. It's not just, you know, keeping track of what you're spending and what you're bringing in. Maybe it's continuing to keep track of your value structure, continuing to keep track of of, of what kind of, what's going on around you uh, in a financial setting. But again, maybe, you know, I, I could see that the, the CBU would have kind of different priorities um, and perhaps would, would play a, a, a different role in that integration, which is, is fascinating. Yeah. yeah, I think so. Taking a long run look at it, which I, I guess I haven't really up until this point, just because we've been kind of talking experientially, but looking forward, I, I probably will, when I get to a certain point, engage an outside source for some sort of help planning, like financial planning, financial advising, whatever you want to call it. I will personally probably have, have someone in my corner to do that. And the reason being is, I think there, so if you look at life, I'm sure you could find, you could you could argue that when you're really young, there's a lot of big important decisions that you make too. But once you get older and once you have more dollars at stake, there's those decisions start to be amplified because there's a lot more dollars involved. Um, And so having someone to look for blind spots and bring a different perspective that you personally don't have, um, I think is a very valuable thing. And it's not just necessarily about outsourcing, um, you know, outsourcing the worrying about money or, or coming up with your own policy about budgeting or planning or any of that. It, it's to me, 
more of a, okay, I realized that I have my own biases. I may have been brought up a certain way. Um, and so I'm going to ask and pay for someone else's valuable advice because they come at it from a different angle and they're going to see something differently and possibly pick out a, a you know, maybe a, a pain point or a trap that I don't see coming up. They might be able to see that and point that out to me, which could be very valuable. But also, um, there's a lot of things that are very complicated about money. And I think it's important, even if you are outsourcing the planning specifically, like if you have a financial advisor who's helping you out um, or, or managing money for you or something, I think it's also important to still have your input and understand what your perspective is as an individual, because that'll only make the end product of the plan or, or the money management better because you are pretty clear on what you have as your own goals. And so then the person giving you advice or helping you with a plan to achieve those goals can do a better job at creating, creating a plan or, or managing money or, or what have you. Um, I, and I think like if you're a stay at home parent, you know, hopefully, hopefully you have a spouse that can help you out and you're, you know, you're not like totally destitute living on food stamps. Like I, that's my hope is that you have somebody in your corner. Right. And so then at that point, you know, if it's a couple, then you got to really dig into how do we each value things. And even if the person who doesn't necessarily go out and have a job, even if they're at home, they still one are creating a ton of value because they're probably taking care of the home. And if there's children, they're probably taking care of the children. Um, so that's a ton of value right there. One, but two, that, their input is just as important as the person bringing home a paycheck too, because it's not only just two independent value structures, it has to be one cohesive value structure. So I think even if you're outsourcing it, or if you're part of a, let's, you know, if you're a couple and you're part of a team kind of going through this, then I think it's still important for each person to think through, what do we value? How do we approach budgeting? Also realizing, you know, using that prudence principle of everything, you know, what, what biases do I bring to the table here? What are my blind spots that I'm not seeing or planning for? Um, I, I, I think it's helpful. And as again, thinking long-term as you get towards like, okay, I'm going to retire and I have saved up a bucket of money. I'm going to live off of that for the rest of my life. Like that's a big decision. And there's more dollars at stake there than when you're 20 and getting your first job after college and having to live on a tight budget because you might go a couple thousand dollars into debt if you don't. Uh, there's more at stake, you know, in the, the retirement question than for the 20 year old. So at that point, it's definitely worth it to get some some advice, even if you don't you know, pay somebody for it to just at least bounce ideas off of somebody else and get get different input. Because I think we're kind of we're we think we're smarter than we are as humans. <laughs> And I'd say that's everybody, but we don't know what we don't know. And so if, if somebody can point that out to us, then it can be a known, a known thing and you can deal with it. But if it's unknown, then you can't, you can't deal with it. So that's kind of my, my perspective there. I think it's important for, for everybody to think through how do I integrate this kind of monetary part uh, and val I guess, value portion of my life into, into everything else. Cause it is, it still matters. You can't totally outsource. I think that's something pretty unique to humans. We're very, we have, you know, free will. Um, I've never seen a convincing argument that we don't have free will. So we have free will. And that means that we need to be able to choose. Um, and, and we're going to have to make a decision either way. So you might as well choose the thing that you actually value. And that takes some work to figure out what you actually value. Yeah. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> I think that is a, a good way to put it. <laughs> and I, I like I, I like when I can just say something, Mike, and you're just like, "Yep, that's yeah. all I got. Best I got I, here." <laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> it, it's funny because I think what you said was very accurate in that I also hadn't been thinking in the long run until. We yeah. brought up like, oh, wait, in the long run, you know, budgeting can change and all this stuff where it's it's for some reason, it seems like money is very easy to perceive where where you are right now. It's easy mm -hmm. to 
make snap judgments about it. It's easy to, to make decisions based on the amount of money you have in the bank account right now or the amount of money you're making right now. But it's very hard to extrapolate that over you know a larger period of time over the long run um and and like you said you know when if you're young you have you have time on your side and people i've heard that people overestimate what they can accomplish in a year but vastly underestimate what they can accomplish in a decade um and you know that seems to be pretty accurate uh, especially in terms of finances where you 10 years is it, it, it sounds like a long time, but it's, it really is a long time. Like that you could do an enormous number of things and make or spend an incredibly large amount of money. Um, so it's, it's tough in the long run to be able to, to kind of pull the mind out and let the, uh, let the CBU extrapolate on a, <laughs> on a large game plan. Uh, but I mean, at the end of the day, we'll always all be making mistakes and trying to figure things out. And um, I, I think, I don't know, one of the one of the biggest things I've gotten from this conversation, I think, is being able to be flexible to, to change your monetary policy. Don't necessarily be locked in, be willing to review it on a regular or catalyst based basis. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what other what other kind of tips or takeaways do you have for our listeners yeah i think that's a good that's a good point um in the analogy i would say it almost seems like the the current state of the fed doesn't do that enough they're not flexible enough almost because <laughs> like the way our system works at the moment they can't be mm. flexible because if they go all volker on the market it's just gonna absolutely you know crash so <laughs> that that i mean we're seeing 50 Currently, you're seeing 50 basis point hikes freak the market out, even though they're priced in, right? So it's all, it, it seems like maybe that they're being, or they aren't able to be as flexible as they should be. So I think I think you're right. Flexibility, you know, case in point, flexibility is important. Um, I also think, you know, taking a long run approach is more difficult. It requires a little bit more thinking and effort on, you know, the individual's part. I think it is also going along with the federal bank or the federal reserve, the the central bank analogy, it's helpful to have multiple inputs in that, which is why I think it is uh, valuable to, to have to either maybe you pay for outside advice, or you at least are discussing it with, you know, someone you trust and, and trust their opinion on. Um, I think that's important because as we see in the, the, the federal reserve, like there's more than just Jerome Powell making decisions. There's a lot of inputs um, a lot of people who have have opinions that matter on the on the committee. So I think it's um, that is kind of a it's almost speaks to the wisdom of the crowds idea, right? Where the more inputs you you can have, the the better outcome you're probably going to get on average, right? If you combine all those inputs, um, so that that also is a good principle to take away. Um, and and I think overarching you know, having a principle of being prudent, which kind of is, you know, a a meta, a meta principle to being flexible. Um, You know, there's being prudent and then also, um, yeah, allowing your, allowing yourself to, to change. Like it's, it's easy to say be flexible, but like just giving yourself the freedom to do that, to be flexible, I think is important. So that's another kind of meta principle above flexibility is like be prudent but also give yourself like give yourself the okay if you need to like it's okay if i go over my budget this month it's not the end of the world i think that's important in in my life it's just kind of a i guess you call it balance like having balance in all of it awesome yeah that sounds pretty good to me. <laughs> Again, I love it when I can just, yeah. just yeah, say my like, piece yeah. and then you get, yeah, yeah, it's right, right on the head there, Austin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I think this has been a, a good conversation. I think we've we've covered a lot, uh, a lot of different things here, and uh, just like the Fed, uh, Federal Reserve, and their monetary policy, I think personal monetary policy is is complicated, and there's a lot of moving parts. But I think it's well worth the exploration. For, for anyone to do. 
Yeah, I definitely agree. And I think, I think that the, at least even just having the conversation around it is eye-opening to talk to other people. Maybe that's my, my challenge to our listeners is talk to other people, ask them what their personal monetary policy is. Cause I think it's interesting and valuable to share ideas and share perspectives on money because it's, it's, it's one of those taboo topics that people don't really talk about unless you ask them and unless you know them well enough to, to ask them and don't just, uh, I mean, I guess you could walk up to a stranger on the street and you know put a microphone in their face and say, what's your personal monetary policy. But I think it's more interesting. To, yeah. <laughs> probably more valuable to ask people that, you know, well, um, but I think it's a valuable conversation to have and then integrate that into, into yours and understanding who you are as well. Mm-hmm. Well, fantastic. Yeah, I think we've reached the end of our uh, our episode here. This has been an, another episode of the Long Run Show. And uh, definitely leave a rating review on whatever platform you're on right now. That'd be awesome. Unless it's a bad review, just don't leave a bad review. <laughs> we don't want those. Um, but we, we appreciate you listening, and we will catch you next time. This has been the Long Run Show. Thank you.